0: Let me tell you about little Johnny. So, little Johnny lives in a country town, and they they wouldn't have visitors very often being in the country town. And so, he was pleased on this one occasion that dad had brought home two guests to dinner. And so, as dinner finished, let me just get this thing going there. As dinner finished, Johnny went into his kitchen with his mom and brought out a serving of apple pie and went straight over to his dad and gave it to his dad. You know, as you would expect your little fella to do, his his dad passed it on to the first dinner guest. So, (coughs) Johnny went back into the kitchen, picked up another piece of apple pie and brought it and gave it to his dad again, the second time. And so his dad passed it on to the second guest. Now, little Johnny was really getting quite uptight by now, and he just yelled out, Dad, there's no point that all the same size. (laughs) 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 When it comes to food, (laughs) uh, some of our our secret (laughs) sins become apparent. Look, we're looking at food. (laughs) (laughs) Excuse me. Not apple pies. Thank you. Not apple pies, but... uh, the miraculous feeding of several thousand people on just five loaves, five buns, and two fish. Except it's not 5,000 people. Do we know Do we know how many there really are? <coughs> it's not 5,000 people. We know that because? Yeah, they're only counting men. Okay, you're throwing a lot of ladies and children. You could be talking up to a figure of, 20,000 people. This is spectacular. Fed, not on five loaves. (laughs) Get that out of your mind. These were little buns. Thank you, Gloria. And two little whiting. Okay? Tiny little fish. It's a spectacular miracle of (laughs) great (laughs) portion. Excuse me, we'll get through this. I promise you. (laughs) Now, this is one of those miracles that's covered by all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And each one brings a different perspective. So we'll draw from the different perspectives. They're just great at giving us uh, a four-dimensional view of what's happening. And they each bring out a different aspect. John brings out Christology. Christology is the study of Christ, the logic of Jesus. John brings it out quite clearly as as chapter 6 unfolds, how this points to Jesus. But Matthew, Mark particularly, bring out two elements that I want to look at with you this morning. They bring out both the compassion of Jesus to these people and the response that Jesus expects of his disciples. To clear emphasis of why Mark and Matthew include this episode in their gospel, Jesus' compassion towards the crowd and his expectation of his disciples that's what we're looking at firstly then number one (laughs) jesus's compassion towards the needy sets the marker for our empathy to human plight do you see that jesus's compassion towards the needy sets the marker for our empathy to human plight. Verse 13. When Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the town. So here's a John the Baptist's death. It happened some time back. Herod now is interested in Jesus because he thinks he's a reincarnated Herod. So things are beginning to become quite volatile in the region. So Jesus moves on. He moves away. He wants to get alone, away from the present danger, but he wants to be in prayer. And he obviously needs to continue. What's he doing with his disciples? He's got to finish. He hasn't got long left. He's got to finish. Yeah, he's got to finish their training. These guys are going to be ready when he leaves after the cross. So however, as he's moved away on boat from Capernaum to Bethsaida, the crowd the large crowd have followed him they followed on the northern i think we're going to have a map there they followed him here's the area where jesus goes to bethsaida they followed him from capernaum across a ford where where uh, the sea of galilee fed into and across to bethsaida it's about 10k a crowd of twenty thousand people followed him to the location verse 14 when jesus landed and saw a large crowd that not only followed him, who got there first? Jesus. No. Good answer. But it's the the one time it's wrong. Okay. The crowd got there first. Okay. They beat him to it. Jesus' response is, is what we're going to look at for a minute now. So these are people he left behind. They've beaten him to the location that he'd gone for what? What had he gone there for? Quiet prayer and training of his disciples. And so, listen to his response, verse 14. When Jesus saw the large crowd, he had compassion on them. Look, he's already been ministering to these people. They'd already had their, their, their lot, their due, if you like. And remember, this was a town where they, by and large, were rejecting his word because it was his hometown where they knew who he was, and a prophet's not welcome. So his miraculous work was somewhat curtailed. He's moved on because he wants to be, look, reflecting on John's death, escaping trouble. He doesn't want to be near crowds. He needs to be in prayer, which is quite telling that Jesus felt the need to be in prayer. He wants to train his disciples. Look, He needs a break, doesn't he? He needs some time out. The last thing that he wants now is a demanding crowd. Okay. In fact, look, this is what Mark says. Uh, This is Mark 6 on the same account. We're giving him a bit more perspective. Because so many people were coming and going, because he was so busy that they did not even have chance to eat, he said to his disciples, come with me by yourselves to acquire a place where there aren't 20,000 people ready to jump on you. Can you see the point? That's why he's gone. And so now that he gets there and the crowd is there, what would you expect Jesus to respond like? Absolutely. Seriously. You'd expect him to be uptight, frustrated, out of sorts. Seriously. I mean, George can't remember a meal once some months back from the house, and then we we sent him away, and 10 minutes later, he's knocking on the door again. How do you think I felt? I mean, come on, George. You've had your dinner. Then move on. (laughs) No, he didn't really. (laughs) He did, actually. We we forgot something. (laughs) There was. There was. Thank you, Pete. And he was going to have it. Now, Jesus should have been out of sorts, But instead, look, he had compassion on them. He's not annoyed. He's not short with them. In fact, he clearly cares for them. Look, I'm a child of the 80s. I was just a weak kid in the 80s. Okay? So Superman, I grew up with Superman. Do you remember the original Superman? Number two, remember when those three come to Earth, and they take on Superman. And somewhere in the film, uh, where they're taken on Superman, they, they observe that whenever one of the humans is in danger, what does Superman do? The rescue. rescue them in spite of injury to himself. And then one of them comments, I think it's a lady, he cares for these people. They're bewildered by it. He cares for these people. I think this is what we've got here friends we've got a bewildering situation jesus doesn't know these people that followed him around They're a bit of a nuisance really but he seems to care for them he has compassion on them look here's the greek word i think it's a component i'll put come on the screen for you complex greek word okay it means exactly what he means in english same thing look you could get this from an English dictionary, let alone a Greek uh, lectionary. To be, it means to be deeply moved in your bowels, except we would say in our heart, okay? To be affected deeply in one's inner being, especially in that aspect, in that culture, the bowels, characterized by sympathy and compassion, okay? Jesus... He's feeling something genuine here it's heartfelt he cares he's moved by their plight this is authentic okay in fact in mark's accounts of the miracle jesus elaborates his concern listen to this in mark verse 34 there when jesus landed and saw a large crowd he had compassion on them because he explains why they were like sheep without a shepherd this was the nation that God had sent numerous prophets to. And yet, at this stage, they're like sheep without shepherd, they were lost spiritually in the dark, wandering, grasping at straws. And so, so what does Jesus do? They're lost. What does he do for them before the feeding? What does he do for them? To enlighten them, to guide them, to instruct them. What does he do? And this is primary for any, any organization that calls itself a church. What is the first thing he does before he feeds them? For them? Uh, he may well have done that. He teaches them the word. A church that, that, that relegates teaching to an optional extra has got serious question marks on his validity as a church. Jesus deals with the essential need first, which is that they need teaching. Verse 34, so he began to teach them his word. Back in Matthew, verse 14, when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them. And this is how that compassion unraveled, okay? He was thinking ahead of their food need, yes. Okay, these are not in order. He healed the sick. He told them about God. He fed them. Okay, He dealt with, can you see how much Jesus has done for them? Someone tell me, how much of a package of benefits is this to this group? I guess what I'm asking, has he done enough? It's everything, isn't it? Can you see? He gives them the full package. Uh, They need Teaching—it it makes a primary in his ministry. Okay, <laughs> that ill. Look, they've carried 10k. What people who are sick, so he heals them, and in carrying those people, in traveling that arduous journey, at that time of day, okay, where they were in snack shops every five minutes, they're hungry, and so he fed them. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Stephanie, he gives them a complete care package. Can you see the point? His his ministry to them is holistic and all born out of this compassion in verse 14 that he felt for them. It's an incredible picture and insight into God. Next time we accuse him of, he doesn't care, he doesn't really love me. Okay? Look what he did for this crowd who doesn't deserve this, this care treatment at this juncture. So <laughs> Jesus' compassion towards the needy sets <coughs> the marker for our our empathy to human plight. Let me run some things past you here. Look, we have the media, you know, love it or hate it. Okay, but we have the media. It means we don't have to leave our living rooms. Do you call your main room a living room? Okay, good, good. As long as we understand. I I have to always be careful which English I use because this is a foreign country and I keep forgetting. Okay, (laughs) right. So, look, look, you're familiar in your living rooms, okay, on your sofas. You understand that? Okay, on your sofa, right? On your sofa... And you'll see pictures like this. Oh, just go through these, would you please? Now? Let me just put them all up one by one. Famine, okay. Children who are destitute. Just go through them all, please. Okay, those who are abused. Those who have nothing. Those who are ill. We get these pictures constantly. You can hardly watch a show today when it would be broken up with some charity appealing for something. Okay, let me ask you this. We're watching from the comfort of our deluxe homes and if you don't think you've got deluxe homes it's because you're blind you have a deluxe home okay okay we sit there from the comfort of our deluxe homes with our food cupboards how much food is in? how much food is do you know how much food is in my cupboard absolutely i can't i can't close the door (laughs) seriously okay yeah i just need i need to eat more food okay uh, with our cupboards overflowing with food and with, with the luxuries of private health care you know, i was speaking to somebody some friends new friends of the church and I asked them what they would do back in their motherland when they if they if they needed emergency service do you know what they said call the neighbor do you know what i do you know what i would do if i was in an emergency Okay? I'd have to remember what number it is, because it's a different number in this country, and I'm still learning it. And the other day I had to ask somebody, "What's the emergency number in Australia?" I would just get my phone out. And I just got zero, 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 because I've got ambulance health insurance. OK? That just come. I'm assuming I haven't done it yet. Then <laughs> maybe we'll be late. Look, we've got all that. So when we see these images, what do we feel? Do we feel anything? Do we feel compassion? I want to ask you, do we? Do we just feel indifferent? Does it all seem so artificial, unreal, so distant? Is it a bit of an inconvenience? For goodness sake, I'm trying to watch the news. Do we just go to the toilet or put the kettle on so that we don't have to watch that? It is, it is, thank you. So here's what I want to ask, friends. Not only how do we feel, how do we respond? Do we do anything? Or have we become so familiar with it, we're numbed to any provocation, to any form of action? Let me give you, look, it's all so far away, I want to give you something much closer. I want you to imagine. Who's got good imagination? Look, we've all got, I'm sure you've all got good imaginations. This is going to take a lot of imagination, okay? Do your best. I want you to imagine for a moment, if you would, look at, we're having a, a missionary service, okay? We don't have them very often. We're having on Sunday evening, okay? It's been a long day. You know, you've been to church in the morning, okay? You know, and now you've got to go back to church again the second time, okay, so you make your way to church, and look, all you want to do is just have a good sing-song, preferably just sit down, not have to stand up, okay, and I just hear the missionary talk, you know, a, a good night tonic, but I want you to imagine this, I know it'll be difficult, but just try and imagine this situation in the middle of your little meeting, a group, a tribe, walk in, and you can imagine all the Hustle and bustle, and, and the noise, and kids screaming, and ones crying, and the dad shouting at his kid, and the pushing tables, pardon, vomiting. vomiting. I mean, come on, I'm just, I just want to listen to the missionary. I mean, can you imagine a situation like that? And i, mean, I adding insult to injury. the are black. Which means they must be aboriginal, okay? Now how are we feeling? Now what's going through our minds? What do we do? Are we sitting there thinking, when will they shut up? I can't hear the speaker. Thank you. So We're going to get to the... Look, are we racking... Let me ask, are we sitting there racking our brains as to how we may minister and serve these people that have taken refuge in a church? Or is it a sense of annoyance? Is it rising frustration? When are they going to go away? Disapproval. I mean, they won't shut up. I don't mind them being here, but if they were quiet, I'd get accommodated. Is there fear? Look, I might catch something. You don't know what kind of habitat these people have. Seriously, seriously. Why didn't they just get a job? Feed those kids and put them to bed. It's eight o'clock. Is that what we're thinking? What would go through our minds if we faced that situation at Living Word Church? When Jesus had every reason to be angry, frustrated inconvenience by this crowd who wouldn't leave him alone for goodness sake. Instead of frustration and anger and short-temperedness, he had compassion on them. He healed them, taught them, fed them. He was moved. He put aside, can you see? He put aside personal need. He needed to be alone with God. Seriously. He put aside personal need. He put aside the needs of his disciples. They needed rest. And he completely reorganized his diary. It's incredible. And here's the thing that that really moves me. He did it knowing that every one of them would walk away after they were fed. In John 6, when there's a, uh, an extended version of this account, he teaches them, and we're told at the end, they all leave. Look, on hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching, who can accept it? <laughs> From this time on, many of his disciples turn. Back at the point I'm trying to make is Jesus didn't only do this because he was going to get some bums on seats in his new church. He didn't know in that leave. He didn't know him that just walk out. He didn't know him that, that just say, thank you very much, goodbye. He still did it. Can you see the point? It's no justification that, that we might not get more people in the church if we do this. We're not going to get anything back for the money. If we feed them, the church won't grow because they live in another state. Can you see the point? There's not a justification for cold-heartedness. And even though there may not be a gospel advantage, even though we may never see some of these people again, there's an oneness that we respond as Jesus did. It's not the only time we see Jesus like this. Just try this sometimes. Read through the Gospels and you see Jesus constantly, constantly stirred by human need. Remember the widow? The widow of Nain? She lost her son. How many people, let me ask you, how many dead people do you think die? How many people die in in Israel, in Jesus' day, on a daily basis? Absolutely. But he focuses on this one woman. Somebody tell me, who knows the story? It's going to come up there. Why did he focus on that one woman? Why did he do the miracle for that one woman? Why was it that he raised that one woman's son to life? What was it about (laughs) that one household the movement to do it. Someone who knows the story? The widow of Nain, Luke 7. Because him. It, it wasn't that. I don't think she met him before. But thanks, Sylvia. She lost everything. She had no husband, no children. This was his, her only son. Jesus zoomed in on this one situation of all the deaths in Israel that day. Because that was a woman who was absolute rock bottom. And for her, did that miracle. Can you see what drove Jesus? It wasn't always gospel need, often, it was his care and love and empathy towards people that he'd created. Friends, a Christian is someone, if I ask what is a Christian, I'm sure there's ten different answers we could give. But a Christian is essentially someone who is a follower of the life and teaching of Jesus. If we see in Jesus' life a man who was moved to compassion when he saw human need, it means that if I'm a disciple, my heart echoes that. A Christian is someone who echoes Jesus' compassion to the needy. Jesus' compassion towards the needy sets the marker for our empathy to human plight. Number two. Number two. Jesus' expectations of his disciples sets the precedence for our response to human needs with that jesus's heart we're going to see what jesus expects his disciples to do okay jesus's expectations of his disciples sets the precedence for our response to human need let me start with the disciples then. listen to them in verse 15. okay as evening approached the disciples came to him and said this <coughs> is a remote place and it's already getting late <coughs> Send the crowds away so they can go (laughs) to to the villages and buy themselves some food. Now, on the face of it, it, it does sound, doesn't it, like they are interested in helping these people? Can you see that? You know, look, Jesus is late. There's a lot of people here, Master. I know you get carried away, Jesus. You're like Montez. When he starts, he doesn't know when to stop. Okay, so Jesus, we're just just saying to you, you know, it's late. Why don't you send them to go and buy some food? You know, they're hungry. It, it, It really sounds authentic, doesn't it? It stinks. Seriously, it stinks. It's reeking, that statement there. Absolutely reeking. How do I know that? How do I know that? It's a, big, it's a big thing to say about Peter John. I'm going to stand behind him before him one day. And I'm going to, have to uh, say uh, either apologize <laughs> or, or, uh, or something when I get to me, if I'm wrong. Why do I say that? Look, let me, let, me, let me try and paint this picture for you. How many people are looking at? Up to? Up to? 20,000 people, okay? They've traveled to a remote place. What does that mean? We use the same language here, that will cost 10,000 miles. Remote place, meaning? There's nothing there. If it's remote, there's nothing there, okay? okay that travel 10K, they're already tired, it's time for the meal. They're 10K away from any civilization. If Jesus sends them away to the local villages, is what they're saying, right? How many local villages do you find in a remote place? Very few, if you find some, okay, you'll find a few. How big do you think they will be? Tiny, okay? So there may be one a couple of scattered places they can go to. They'd be tiny. Their population will be smaller than the crowd. Okay? Are you getting the picture here? No, no. What will they go to buy? What did you eat? Look, if I went out at lunchtime, I don't do this very often, but I might buy a big Mac. Okay? What are they gonna buy? What do you buy in first century? What's your staple? (laughs) No. (laughs) it is <laughs> even in italy in israel what's your staple begins with a b. bread okay okay when do you bake bread archie's here Archie's is a baker archie <coughs> when do you bake bread what hour of the day Nighttime. time so that he can go to the shops at what time first thing in the morning okay so these villages bake bread in the early hours what, how much bread do you think is available on their shelves at 5, 6 in the evening? None. Because you only bake as much as you can sell. Okay? So can you see now what the disciples are doing? They want Jesus to send 20,000 stampede to tiny little villages with hardly any population, with hardly any shops, with no bread, to buy food. They don't care about these people, do they? Can you see? It stinks! They're not trying to get these people to go and get some dinner before they faint. They want shot of them. Can you see what's happening? From then, it's like Jesus, look, verse 15, send the crowds away. I think you've got to hear the tone here. This is, get rid of them, Jesus! Come on. i oh, we're tired. I haven't eaten. Get rid of them. Tell them to go. The point is, they feel no empathy whatsoever for this crowd. There's no compassion and no concern to do a thing for them. We know they're like that. Do you remember what it was whenever Jesus was ministering? Little kids would come up to him. What were they like? Get rid of them! Okay, a blind guy comes up to him. What are the disciples saying? Get rid of them. just read it. (laughs) These are serial cold hearters. Seriously. Okay, everybody they don't like. Get rid of him, get rid of him, get rid of him. Because who, the only person that can have Jesus is? Them. Okay? But Jesus, listen, listen to his response, verse 16. Jesus replied... They do not need to go away. Why? You give them something something to eat. This is a rebuke, friends. This is Jesus saying, hey, you, shut up. Okay? We're not sending them away. You sort them out. Why aren't you feeling a burden for them? Why aren't you feeling what I'm feeling for them? In a few months, I'm going to be gone. I'm leaving you in charge of my work. Okay? And you better get used to me now. You do something. Can you see what he's doing? Yeah. He's setting him an example here. When I leave, and you encounter these situations, don't you dare send them away. That's what Jesus is saying. And he's going to get across to them that whatever they're doing whether it's gospel work or just out in life, they never send the crowds away. You do something for them. And look, obviously, this is an impossible situation, isn't it? How could they possibly do something? But the point is, they're not even thinking. What do they know Jesus can do? What what did they see him do when there wasn't any wine at a wedding? Okay, they know we can do something spectacular. So it's not as though they genuinely know they're in trouble. No, they know that with Jesus. (laughs) So we continue, okay. It's a bizarre instruction because they can't really do anything. Verse 17, so they respond to Jesus. I think it's sarcasm. I think it is. I think it's sarcastic. Here, look, we have here only five loaves and two fish. Yeah. yeah jesus yeah really five loaves two fish hello are you awake i'm sure there's there's an element of sarcasm there right okay and look it's, it's not just only <coughs> just five loaves and two fish what can you do with that here's what luke adds luke 9 he replied you give them something to eat they answered we have only five loaves uh, five loaves and two fish, unless we go and buy food for all this crowd. Well, they know full well there's no food, okay? So here they are to Jesus, they give him what they have. They've stolen the food from who? Whose food was it? No, it was somebody else. Do you remember? Yeah mate, you take a little boy to remember that. Good on you. It was someone else's packed lunch, okay? John 6, 9. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves. You see, look, in those days, if you went on a journey, you took a picnic like we do now, okay? It wasn't a Mars bar. You took a small loaf. It's barley loaf. Do you know, does anyone know what that's telling you? What kind of people ate barley loaves? Yes. tells you something of the demographic here. Okay, tells you something of the demographic here. Okay, just barley loaves, okay? And here's a boy who came prepared. Perhaps the only guy in the, of the 20,000 who come prepared. So verse 18, <laughs> Jesus says, bring them here to me. What's lovely about Jesus is very often he doesn't just start with nothing. He, he prefers to take what's there and do something with it. It's a lovely thing about Jesus. However poverty-stricken we may be, you may only be able to put $5 in an offering one Sunday, but Jesus can multiply $5 exponentially in its effect for the kingdom. You see, the quantity isn't, isn't an issue to Jesus. It's, it's the substance and the heart to do it that matters. So he takes what little they have. Uh, you know, these little boys obviously, I'm assuming, voluntary here. Out of that, or he's like saying, "Sir, sir, give me back my loaf." I mean, we're assuming it, it's, it's complicit in some way. So Jesus takes it. Okay, listen to this. He brings. He said, "Bring me to me." Verse 19. He directed the people to sit on the grass. Okay, <laughs> taking the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke it. This is what a typical head of a household does. I hope we all do this in our household. Okay. The head of the household, okay, stands, his arms lifted. You can do whatever posture you fancy. But Jesus, with his arms lifted, looking up to heaven, would have thanked God, his father, for the provision. I think we have to understand here, he wasn't pleading for a miracle. Why do we know that? Why wouldn't Jesus be pleading for a miracle to his father at this moment? When he obviously needs one done, why wouldn't he need to do that? Why wouldn't he do it? Because, yeah, he had faith, not only that is that, there's even more than that, because he is God. <laughs> he, he operates always on the prerogative and the agenda of God. That's why he, he was unique to every other man of God, every other man of God, Elijah, Elisha, they all did what? They prayed for God's power. Jesus emanates God's power. Do you see the point? And so he's giving thanks, not for the miracle, because he operates completely in tune with God's prerogatives. He's giving thanks for the bread that God grew through his provision. And then verse 19 continues, and he gave them to his disciples, and the disciples gave them to the people, and they all ate and were satisfied, and these disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over, and the number of those who ate were 5,000 men, besides women and children. 20,000 people, I've got to move quickly, my time is going. 20,000 people fed on meager rations. It's incredible. It is a fabulous miracle. So what, what are the crowd thinking? This is first century Israel. What did Moses do for them? Something else. Fed them. They were expecting the Messiah. This was the expectancy running in the society at this time. For when the Messiah comes, like Moses, he would supernaturally feed the manna. What do you think they're now thinking? This is the Messiah. And so they want to make him king. John sick. John tells us, look, uh, they say, surely this is the prophet who was to come into the world, the Messiah. So they try and get him. But Jesus, we're told, withdraws and finally gets the rest that he needs. Now I need to finish. Let me just run through the rest of my message here, friends. I want to just go back to the disciples. I wanted to show you what Jesus expected. He says, you give them something to eat even though they protest where they can buy bread, Jesus expects his disciples to get involved. Not only does he tell them, when he does the miracle, what does he make them do? When he's doing the miracle, what does he ensure they do? There's that? He makes sure they're giving them out. Why is he doing that? He's making sure, isn't he, that they're doing it. His muscle memory, can you see? He's making sure they serve, they give out. He wants them to see the reality. He wants them to see the response. So they're beginning, you know, thank you. He wants them to change. He makes them do it. Friends, I want to suggest that doing social justice, taking an interest in social justice, has always been at the heart of our faith. He's at the heart of our God. It's been at the heart of the church and he must be at the heart of Living Word Church. Let me tell you, <coughs> England, this is all I know, it's where I'm from, okay? John Howard, Elizabeth, <laughs> Elizabeth Fry, excuse me a second. John Howard, Elizabeth Fry, disturbed by prison conditions, campaigned and changed the state of prison. Thomas Clarkson, William Wilberforce, served by what? Slavery brought an end to it. Lord Shaftesbury, moved by, does anybody know? Child labour, laboured to overturn employment rules. And there's others Tom Bernardo, uh, T.B. Stevens, C.H. Spursons, jo- George Muller. Look, I've got his book here. George Muller. In the 1800s, built orphanages to house thousands and thousands of kids. Gave up his home to begin with. You can still see them today. We've been around them. We have a heritage, friends, of men and women who have acted, whether in gospel work or or just in life, who have been moved to compassion, who have acted, who have done deeds that glorify Jesus. And the point simply is this, friends. The gospel is, yes, go and make disciples. And we must never forget that. If you forget that, then, then, we, we, then, then, then it's cruel. But implicit in that instruction is the command to meet human need where we face it. Galatians 6 says this. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us especially do good to those who belong to the family of believers, yes. But what does, what does he say before? As we have opportunity? To all people. The black people. The unemployed people. Okay? You know, I was praying, talking with the kids, giving them a Bible story about Cornelius yesterday. And one of the lines was, uh, that doesn't matter what colour your skin is or what country you're from, God still loves you. And as the kids were reciting this, I could see the cogs turning. What do you think they were thinking? Yeah, why? What does it matter what colour you are? But it does in the big adult world, doesn't it, Sometimes. We're called to do good to all people. In fact, in fact, Paul writes this in Romans, if your enemy is hungry, what do you do to him? Feed him. And What does that mean? That means there can never be any form of discrimination. That's what Jesus' point is through Paul there. Where even if he's your enemy, even if you hate his guts, you still are obliged under Jesus to feed him. Giving something to you means we're obliged always, whoever they are, to show this mercy. Because our God, Matthew 5, lets his son. Have you you noticed this? You know, there's a guy there who was done for murder uh, in Adelaide. And I noticed when he was walking down the street, the sun was always away from him and there's always a dark cloud. And it always rained on him when everybody else was dry. Have you ever noticed that? God lets his son is goodness overflow to evil and good people. There is never a justification for withholding grace. And James tells us, look, if, if we needed a challenge, James tells us, hey, our acts of compassion towards a needy ultimately reveal the authenticity of our faith. Verse 17, in the same way, faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is dead. I think that what that means, friends, that as a preacher, if I'm hard-hearted and refuse to minister to need when I face it, it may reveal, not just I'm hard-hearted, it may reveal that your pastor is unconverted. That's what James is saying. It becomes, you see, when you get converted, your heart changes. If it doesn't change, there may not be conversion. Hey, I've got to finish. I've got to finish. Let me say this: When that Aboriginal family came here, it wasn't an imaginary situation. It was real. God bless you. You were awesome. And ministered to the need. Of that family. And only eternity will tell what that meant to Jesus. Do you get it? Only eternity will tell.